Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. It's great to be with you. I just recently finished reading Buzz Aldrin's book, Return to Earth, The Second Man to Walk on the Moon, describes the difficulty of adjusting to life on earth after achieving such an incredible goal. He writes this, I traveled to the moon, the most significant voyage of my life, however, began when I returned from where no man had been before. He calls his life back here on earth a torturous, long journey. And he depicts it in a really cool way in the landing, sort of this transition from the moon to earth. He describes it like this. After they came through the clouds and were heading toward the ocean, he says, we landed with all the grace of a freight elevator. The sensation caused by the chain of scenery pales beside the sensation of getting used to the fact of weight. Uh, The moon has one-sixth of the earth's gravity. So he weighed about 60 pounds in the suit with the backpack on, on, on the moon. But he weighed 360 pounds back here on Earth. So he says, for a number of minutes, movement is an effort. Arms, which had floated before, now hung heavily and had to be willed to movement. Legs, he writes, which are about as necessary to space travel as an appendix is to a body stirred to activity by threatening not to function at all. Well, Philippians chapter 4 is very much like coming down to earth. In chapter 3, Paul depicts this spiritual life that he describes as this upward call, uh, a heavenly prize. We're citizens of heaven. But here in chapter 4, he quickly brings us back down to earth through the clouds, if you will, to the dirt, to the muck and the mess of the spiritual life. Now, uh, Jesus prepared us in chapter 2, where he left heaven and came to earth, stepped right into our mess. I think I uh, shared with you before this great quote from a book I read, The Incarnation is the Death of Abstraction. And Paul here is about to get real and concrete in these first nine verses of chapter four. What I want to do is look at verse one and verse nine, uh, sort of the, the beginning and the end. In verse four, or in verse one, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So he says, Stand firm, get your footing, settle your feet. Prepare for concrete realities. It seems like a landing. Uh, Adjust to gravity. Feel the full weight um, of of life here as I'm about to describe it back on earth. So that's his opening. And then at the very end, he writes this. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. 
So here's how I want you to operate here. Here's how I want you to experience God's peace. If you want God's peace, uh, he says, you need to stand in the tradition. Don't go off on some moonwalk, spiritually speaking. Act on what you've been taught and what you've heard, what you've seen. This is the truth of the gospel. Nothing has changed. Don't forge your own path or make up your own spirituality. Paul's going to give us a a pretty clear picture of what spirituality is right here. So once you sort of come down out of the clouds, there are two earthly realities that the gospel has equipped us to engage in. And they are as relevant as they've ever been. The first one is relational harmony. That's a strong communal commitment. And then the second one is personal harmony. It's more of an internal kind of harmony. It's a strong inner connection to God. One has to do with a relational life that seeks unity. The other one has to do with an inner life that seeks inner sanity, if you will. On the one hand, the difficulty is that people are all different. On the other hand, circumstances are difficult. And so right now, the world is in turmoil, really, in both of these arenas. Uh, The relational disharmony that we see in the world is destructive and it's painful. On the other hand, there's all kinds of internal and personal angst. People are emotionally overwhelmed. They're racked with anxiety and fear. So you have this external and internal unrest that Paul addresses and, and the need for peace in both areas. So I want to look at the first one, relational harmony. In verse 2, Paul says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So all this talk about community and unity that Paul has used sort of in a general sense in the chapter comes home. It's real earthy, real and concrete uh, in here in chapter 4. And notice a few things about the verse. He admonishes both of them. The verbs used twice. That's why I used the NASB so you could see that. Uh, It's grammatically uh, not really necessary, but relationally speaking, both of them need to hear the message. The second thing I want you to notice is it's not a private matter. Can you imagine when this book was read to Philippi, the church there, names actually being written, called out, if you will. Uh, The disruption and the division are destructive, and it made everybody I bet in the room uneasy. But what Paul calls for is what he's been calling for in the whole book. uses the same word, like-minded, to be in harmony. It's the word like-minded. He's used it multiple times. And what Paul does not mean by that is that everybody have the same opinion. Everybody wear the same uniform to church. It's not what he's saying. Here's what he means by that. Don't overvalue your own position or stance or yourself. Let it go. Uh, value others. See them as, as, as valuable and worthy. Um, and keep the mission focus. Keep the gospel front and center. That's why he says it's a harmony that's in the Lord. 
because that's the sphere we operate in. God himself is three persons who operates in unity and calls us to that same kind of oneness. Now, we have no idea what came between Yodi and Syntyche. And it's probably wise Paul didn't mention it, even if he did know. Because it really could have been anything. Uh, as from as simple as, you know, who has the goofiest name to, uh, you know, which one of them thought masks made a difference uh, during a pandemic. Uh, some of them thought, well, they're useless. Maybe it was Yodia. Sounds like a woman who wouldn't want to wear a mask. And then Syntyche, who would have thought, well, I think they're pretty important. Uh, we've had multiple meetings here preparing for our reopening uh, June 21st. And one of the greatest difficulties or frustrations is managing all the different perspectives, uh, not just of the staff and the leaders here, but of the entire congregation. Um, and let me just say, and we're doing everything we can uh, to value everyone's feelings, accommodate everyone. Uh, and yet at the same time seek a bigger goal of actually being together and visualizing the community God intends to visualize in the world. So we can't be divided on masks, uh, you know, the masks and the unmasked. Um, And we can't all get what we want. I can tell you right now, I'm not getting everything I want in this reopening. And no one on our staff is. There's not one elder getting everything they want. Um... No leader is. All different perspectives, all of us have had to concede. So don't let your blood boil over any of these kinds of things. Uh, The truth is, it's very complicated, and uh, we're trying to value people on the one hand and accommodate a host of perspectives. So here's our challenge, and I think it comes in verse 3, and Paul speaks to everyone who's not necessarily in a conflict. He says, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul just sets their conflict in the middle of a bigger community. And so notice a couple things. Uh, They're connected to a larger group. So in other words, what's going on between them matters to the whole group. They can't just isolate it and keep it private. The other thing he says is there's a cause here. There's a gospel cause that's greater than whatever your conflict is. Um, And then I love this. He says, your names are written in the book of life. Uh, And he's basically saying, you know, you're going to be together forever. You know, community is at the center of, of God and and his people. And uh, community will always be essential. You'll never be able to run from it. And so deal with the problem. You know, Philippi was in Macedonia. It was just a little Roman colony. It wasn't in Rome proper. And so if you lived in that little colony outside the city, uh, you kind of wanted everyone to know you were a citizen. You didn't want that to be mistaken. And so they had this civic register. You could write, you know, your name was written in it. It proved that you were a citizen and that you had certain rights and responsibilities, privileges and duties that came with it. That's what the book of life sort of 
implies here. Paul is saying, you're part of a larger community. And then he writes uh, to someone, we don't know who it is in verse 3. He doesn't call him by name. He calls him by the action he wants him to take. So in one sense, it could apply to anyone. Uh, And he calls him, um, you know, yoke fellow is really the word. Um, In other words, focus on the action of him. Everyone else around any conflict need to be the ones yoking. Paul says, I need you to be yoking. Uh, Start yoking, (laughs) which is connecting. So in community, uh, connecting people, yoking people together is 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 a superpower. All of us helping this process, which essentially means that all the rest of us in the midst of conflict need to not instigate it, instigate it any further or um, cause any tension. You know, nobody needs to be chanting, Yodia, Yodia, or Sintiki, Sintiki. <laughs> we got to kill it. All that tension needs to die because togetherness is what needs to emerge at the top of the list. So, now Paul's not done with this. He's got two more verses that have a lot to say, although you might not see how. Because verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. It's been a mantra throughout the book. He wants you to rejoice about the things God has done and created and caused and allowed. He wants you to rejoice in everything. But in this case, he wants you to rejoice in reconciliation. He wants you to rejoice in the fact um, that people are living in unity and not disunity. Rejoice. Can you do this? Can you rejoice not getting your way? Can you come to see that as something, a good, something good? Uh, can you rejoice in the fact that it's not about me or not about you? Because that's what Paul's calling for. Can you say, like Paul wants, it brings me great joy to value others above myself? That's the joy Paul's talking about here. Does that give you joy? And then in verse 5, he continues. He's not done. He says, uh, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Gentleness is probably maybe one of the most important uh, community qualities because it's the ability to take shots and not deliver them back. That's essentially what it is. It's forbearance. Um, you take it, but you don't have to dish it back out. People are safe around you, is the idea. Uh, and he wants everyone to see that about you. You don't create tension. You squelch it. Uh, you don't have to have your way. You don't have to make a scene. You don't have to be heard. Um, I And if it's different than me, I won't act smarter and I won't act superior. I won't create more tension or hold grudges. That's what he's saying. And then he adds this little thing right here, the Lord is near. Of course, it could refer to the second coming, but I'm more inclined to think it's God's presence among them right here. The Lord is near. He's right here. He's in the midst of this, which has profound implications on this relational harmony. Um, he's the reason all of us are here, and he's right in the center of us. 
he's the one who dictates the, the reality. Um, and there's something else that he's saying here. Why is he still there? I mean, you'd think, is he done putting up with us? Why is he still putting up with us? Why is he sticking around? Uh, He's right here on earth with us. He's not up in the clouds waiting for us to get to him spiritually. He's right down here on, on earth feeling the weight of all of these things. Uh, and he doesn't want anyone running off. He's fighting for unity. He asks us to fight for unity. And you just see God's just standing by. He loves reconciliation. I mean, just one of the things that I've noticed as I've been reading a lot on this topic is that God loves reconciliation. It's, it's his intention to reconcile everything. Inanimate and animate. All of it. He wants it all to be unified and under his authority. Because that's when everybody is at peace. Um, and he wants everyone to be at peace. I know you know this. I know you know the anguish of even the slightest conflict. I know you know it. Uh, it it could be conflict that you have with someone. It could be slight, could be big. Either way, it brings angst. It could be between people that you love and you just look at them from the outside and you go, I wish the two of you could get along. I would give anything for you two to come together because it creates angst in others. Uh, that's why Paul is saying solve this problem because it creates angst in everyone. And that's why God wants it solved because he wants that angst gone. You think you love seeing when people come together. And don't you love it? Whether you're watching a movie or whether you witness it in your own home between your kids or you experience it between you and your spouse or you and a friend, doesn't matter. When you do finally get it out and solve it, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world. It feels like a million problems have been solved. That's why God wants it. And that's why he will achieve it one day. So in an age where you would tend to write people off, you know, unfriend, unfollow, block, whatever it is we're doing these days, Jesus is right there in the midst and he says, don't you run from this muck and this mess. Step into it because I'm here. You're not going to find me somewhere else. So step into this. Now, there's two quick applications I want to give you about that. Um, the gospel is confronting. I mean, it's a little uneasy to read Philippians 4 and hear their names mentioned. Uh, the gospel has a confrontational element to it that community provides for all of us, and we need it at times. Uh, Ronald Rollhauser has a book called The Holy Longing, A Search for Christian Spirituality. And this is what he writes. Please listen. It's fantastic. What church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and, and that we're not blocking out the things we should be seeing. Real church going soon enough shatters this illusion and gives us no escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and our lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes, other people's eyes, that are honest and unblinking. And I love because he, he, he finishes it with this. The great flaw of our search for spirituality and faith 
minus church, he says, is the unconfronted life. Without church, we have more private fantasy than real faith. That's a profound statement. Real conversion demands that eventually its recipient be involved in both the muck and the grace of actual church life. That's what Paul is describing. That's relational harmony. The second thing about this, uh, just by way of application, you need something to confront. But you also need to, con- you, you wonder how you can contribute. Everyone's kind of wondering, how can I contribute to the social and cultural uh, unrest in the world today? I'll tell you how. Paul would say, handle the conflict in front of you. Handle the conflict that you have. Manage it daily. Be a peacemaker. Reconcile with the people in your life without being bitter and angry and hateful. And listen to this. All conflict is a microcosm of a larger conflict around us. All conflict. And all reconciliation is a microcosm of the larger reconciliation. And the church should be professionals at reconciliation. All right, second thing. The second earthly reality, along with relational harmony that Paul calls us to, is this personal sort of internal harmony, this inner peace. Because God doesn't just care about our external sort of relational worlds. He cares about what's happening inside of you right now. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Uh, Paul's saying, I don't want you to just have a healthy relational life, seeking unity. I want you to have a strong inner life and have sanity Um, that's a good word right now. The word anxiety here, anxious, has the idea of being harassed or strangled. This is the the life feels like it's being choked out of you. You just get numb and feel like you're going to pass out sometimes from the overwhelming circumstances. And right now there's a whole lot of uh, overwhelming circumstances that are overwhelming everyone. Even if you're not normally overwhelmed, even if you don't consider yourself normally a worrier, it's overwhelming. I went to the dentist uh, two or three weeks ago, right in the middle of all this. And, you know, of course, they got this protocol. You got to, you know, practically sneak in. You feel like you're doing something wrong. You get in there and then they, you know, assess you. And I start talking to the dentist who I've known for a long time because uh, I got all kind of problems he helps me with. And so we were talking and I said, how's it going? He said, it's going great. I said, what, 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 who's coming in? You're only doing emergencies? Yeah. You got, oh. And he said, yeah, most of it is stress. People's jaws hurt and they're They're literally crushing their own teeth, grinding at night and grinding. The stress that they don't even realize is happening is causing them such angst. He said that's the number one thing we're seeing. I've read numerous articles on the topic of anxiety and depression. almost read one a day at least. Uh, And much of this is not easy stuff to define. There's a broad spectrum of these uh, issues all kinds of factors involved, and I'm no expert. But Paul does give some spiritual advice to those of us who feel overwhelmed right now, and legitimately so. 
Um, two things, he says. Be prayerful and be thoughtful. I want to tease these out for you because I think it's important. Okay, so verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Paul uses four different terms for prayer. Um, essentially, Paul is putting a lot of weight on our prayer lives. Very possibly more weight on it than we are putting on it. And that may be one of the reasons for our angst. Paul imagines, envisions, a real conversive relationship with God using multiple words for communication. Uh, where you're constantly demonstrating your dependence and your confidence that God knows what he's doing, even though right now you're completely lost. By the way, most of us feel that way. Um, prayer is, is, is the way to bring God into those things. Um, my wife's reading a book called Praying for Your Adult Children because they need prayer. That's the reason. And in it, she sent me this little quote she read. The things you give to God in prayer, your worries, concerns, and needs, are the ties that bind your heart to his. Our struggles are his entry points. That's a great statement. It's God's desire. Not just to dwell in the community and make sure our relationships are great. He wants to come right into your heart in your mind, and be involved in your daily experience. Um, verse 7 has, you, know, you want the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension, that will guard your heart and your mind? Paul's given this incredible image here. And it's not just, just a sense of peace. It's a sense of God's presence. Will you actually experience God's presence? Not just some not just some quality of peace, the very presence of God. At the end of this chapter, in verse 9, he says, not the peace of God, but the God of peace. It's God himself. You sense his protection. So this is not some mental ability, because I've read tons of different things you can do when you're stressed. Many of them are helpful, but none of them can provide this. It surpasses comprehension. Um, so it's not about mental toughness, not about, you know, personality or anything of that nature. Uh, this is the kind of dynamic you have with God that leads to his presence being felt in the inner parts of your life. In fact, he says, guard your heart and your mind. Again, Philippi is this little colony outside of Rome proper, and they want to feel safe. They don't want to just feel like they're citizens with responsibilities and duties. They want to feel safe. And so Rome sends a garrison of soldiers to be visible to everyone in the city to know you're protected here. That means you're free to roam about. You're free to live, free to move about. That kind of safety on the inside of your life, of your whole life, is what God is describing. So he wants to guard your heart, which is your volition and your will, and your thoughts, so that your brain and your decision maker are both working together, and they feel safe to act the way God wants them to in the world. That's what God wants for you more than anything else. He wants anxiety out of your life so that your heart and your mind are both in tune 
to acting how he wants you to act in the world. And that's why you got to spend time with him in prayer. So one of the first things, I mean, if we're going to hit this really hard, that uh, you should consider when you feel anxious is have I given this fully to God? What kind of conversations have I actually had with God? Not thoughts about having conversations with him, not reading books about having conversations with him, actually having them. I think a lot of the reason many of us, including myself, don't experience the peace is because we don't spend the time conversing with God about them. That's just a hard truth. Uh, I've shared with you in the past uh, this thing called the runner's high. Um, A number of years ago, I tried it. Okay, I I wasn't trying that. I was trying to run 10 miles at a time, something I'd never done. Uh, And so I started running and practicing to do that and started getting better and better and better. Uh, And I had never felt the runner's high, even though I had run a little bit before. And the reason is, I learned, because you didn't run enough. You didn't run far enough. Uh, And, you know, what happens in the mind of the runner as he's running, which is a painful experience for for most people, uh, this chemical thing happens in the brain. You feel a little bit euphoric. And it feels like you're floating, even though you're running, hardcore on the earth, feet planted, pounding on the ground. It feels like you're floating when it happens. Um, And there's a unity of your mind, your body, and your soul. So that you think to yourself, man, I was made for this. I don't think I'm ever going to stop running. You feel invincible. It's a very powerful feeling. And you even can think to yourself sometimes, I thought to myself, you know what? When I get home, I'm going to sell my car. And I'm going to run everywhere from now on. Because running is what I was made to do. That's how it feels. And so for runners, it makes them want to run. And when the And when people spend time with God and pray, they experience this, and it drives them back to there. It's the kind of thing that comes because you pray. It's the kind of thing because you've developed an extensive kind of inner life where you actually sense his presence. So prayerful. The second thing is thoughtful in the womb. This is a profound statement in verse 8. It's really easy to write this verse off. It's not really knowing what to do with it. You know, whatever's holy, whatever's pure, whatever's just, whatever's lovely, these things are excellent, they're virtues, and you're not really sure what to do with them. But Paul has really uh, created a little rhetorical feel here. Uh, And I really want to get under this for you. Um, The word whatever is Paul's way of saying there's lots of ways that things can be pure. There's lots of ways things can be lovely. And then you just got to look at them. There's facets. There's beautiful facets of purity, beautiful facets of justice. And they're all there. And because he doesn't put any connection between them, there's no conjunction, really. So he's not trying to and, and, and slow it down. And what it has is the effect of of sort of stacking. I'm just going to give you a stack of... Beautiful ways, uh, beautiful options available to to honor Christ with your life, even in difficult circumstances. It's not just a list of virtues. It's the way we do life and honor God and the options available to us. There's so many wonders in the spirituality, in the spiritual reality, Paul is saying. 
So many ways to live out our faith in all circumstances. And he wants us always figuring out what they might be in any kind of circumstance. And if you're overwhelmed, you're not doing that. You're just squelched. Your, your options spiritually become very limited. Your vision becomes very limited. I felt it. I know. Um, so he says, I want you to dwell on these things. I want you to think about them. It's not just think. He wants you to consider them and estimate them with a high value. Elevate them. Um, and so <laughs> Paul is saying that without prayer, you, your inner life sort of wilts and it caves in. Uh, to the easy, sinful options that seem readily available all the time. Um, Isn't it funny how evil has all the options and possibilities appear? They're they're the first to show up in any set of circumstances. And without a a strong inner life, the, the options available to you that God has, they don't necessarily come to mind. You can't do them. So prayer helps to sort of shut off this negative soundtrack in our heads so we can think about the things that could be done in our lives. There's a, a, a book out called Jen Got, uh, by Jen Gotch. It's called The Upside of Being Down. She says we have 50,000 thoughts a day and 70 to 80 percent of them are negative. That means you're probably thinking negative things right now. I think he's gone longer than 30 minutes. I thought online was only 30 minutes. And so what we need is something beyond human comprehension. Maybe that's what Paul means. Because the mind can't conjure these up. But God's presence in our lives can. Something supernatural has to orient us to the possibilities of God to work in us. So let me ask you this question right now. In your circumstances... Uh, Are you wondering right now if you have any God-honoring options left? Have you you prayed and thought clearly, hey, God, what could I be doing right now? What uh, what beautiful options are available to me to honor you in these difficult, difficult times? Because God is wanting you to say, and maybe you need to ask this question too. Maybe you're wondering, is it even worth it? And Paul makes it clear these are worth it. They're excellent. They're of high value. They're praiseworthy things. God wants you to know, you can trust me with the circumstances of your life because I need you to be thinking higher. So I'll close by sharing this with you. I... uh, continue to read and reread Henry Nouwen's diary. Um, And it's helping shape my inner life. And he wrote something, I think, that ties relational harmony and personal harmony together in a really beautiful way. Um, And it starts out with this phrase, which I thought was great. Um, On this earth, on this earth, The experience of great beauty always remains mysteriously linked with the experience of great loneliness. Now, loneliness for him is solitude. It's that quiet development of an inner life where you feel alone. But he says the beauty of God, all his beautiful potentialities, options for believers are all revealed in that quiet, lonely space. 
And he says, it reminds me again that there's still a beauty I haven't seen yet. And that's what should drive us to prayer, is the possibility that I might be alone today with God and he's going to show me something I've never seen. He's going to show me a different facet of a truth I've always known or an option for me today. And then he says, the beauty that does not create loneliness, but unity. In other words, you have this time alone with God and you foster this relationship with God. But one of the beauties God will always show you is the power of unity and the reason why you rush to relationships. You don't, ab- you don't alienate yourself. When you see the beauty of God's qualities and virtues available to you, they almost always drive you to some relationship. The inner life and the relational life fit together. And so this is Paul's message and maybe Henry Nouwen's come back to earth. You know, we're experiencing a time right now where space travel's getting closer and closer. Um, And there's a real temptation to want to leave here. I got to tell you, sounds good sometimes. But Paul says, it's the journey inward that matters the most. The experience of God's peace internally. Then he says there's a journey into community where you you make peace relationally. Relational harmony and inter and, and personal or inner harmony. It's Paul's call. Father, right now I just ask that we all sort of uh, to give us a down-to-earth spirituality, one that feels the heaviness and the weight of being on earth, the gravity, the difficulties that weigh us down, that make it difficult to move sometimes. But you're right here in our presence. All these things that sometimes just feel like a waste of energy are the most precious things to you. If we have relationships that need to be, we need to make up, we need to do that. Whatever that means. And then we need to cultivate, maybe now more than ever, um, a distinctive inner life, uh, a quality inner life. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name.